I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and someone who believes in the old saying, let food be thy medicine and let medicine be thy food. Food as medicine is one of the topics of today's show, and we're very pleased to be joined with um, in studio by uh, with uh, Dr. Andrew Litchie. Um, hey, welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Oh, thanks for having me today. Yeah, this is fun, a fun conversation. So give us a little bit about your background. Well, I'm a naturopathic doctor, um, so I've been in practice for about 10 years now. Uh, I also am graduate faculty at the University of Minnesota, and I'm faculty at the National University of Minnesota, uh, Medi- Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon. So. Okay, so what is natural medicine? Well, naturopathic medicine is uh, it's a branch of, of regular medicine. So naturopathic doctors, we are trained in conventional medicine and conventional diagnosis. So drugs and surgery and all the biomedicine terms that you know anyone in uh, conventional medicine would know. In addition to that, we're trained in our own philosophy uh, of treatment. We tend to do more specialized testing, work with nutrition, and think about the whole person rather than just treating signs and symptoms. So if people have a problem, we're always asking why and what contributes to that problem. Problem, in addition to how can we fix the problem. Well, it is fascinating. So you went to uh, the oldest naturopathic medical school in the United States. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, great place to be. Portland, Oregon is a beautiful place. And it was a really wonderful experience being able to uh, learn from people who have been doing this for such a long time. And then you've also studied the effects of meditation training on the body and mind. Yeah, that was something I did during during my time at uh, NUNM. I was not sure if I was going to go into clinical practice or if I was going to go the research route. And so I spent a lot of extra time in the research lab and studying the effects of meditation training on novices. So we had a couple of couple of studies on that, looking at heart rate variability and what happens when people did meditation training. Okay, so what does happen? Oh, it's good, good stuff. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's good. And, and you work with other physicians and healers. So this is not about you on an island with the one and only solution, but you're, you're working in partnership. Oh, of or, course. Yeah. Yep. Uh, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Have a wide referral network and work with people in conventional medicine as well as people like acupuncture, chiropractors, massage, and hopefully a member of someone's team. So. Okay, so um, there are six fundamental purposes or principles in in naturopathy, and the first one um, is do no harm. Right. Well, so yeah, naturopathic medicine is really guided by philosophy. That's that's how we think about what we do. Uh, you know, any any uh, physician level provider has a choice of uh, lots of modalities. So, what makes you uh, a naturopathic doctor is not if you choose to do supplements or work with herbs or work with nutrition. It's how you apply these things, and or if you use vitamin D. You know, um, so so these principles I think we all can agree with, and some of them are not only uh, found in naturopathic medicine. So any any provider hopefully has to do no harm. Uh, how we think about that varies, but we all always want to do no harm and do the least invasive uh, intervention as possible. And uh, another one of the fundamental principles is to identify and treat the cause. That is correct. So, yeah, so you're kind of a detective. Of course. Yeah. Yep. I, I work with a lot of people with complex problems and you have to figure out why. Why? And there's often a lot of interlocking problems that interact with each other. So you, yeah, what is causing what? Yeah. And how do you – I mean how do you even start to do that on something as complex? Well, you talk to the person. 
uh, spend time talking about how their symptoms are and how things have uh, have started and progressed. And and so I think the the history of of their situation is very important, and their life situation is very important. Uh, when we have an idea of of what the pattern is like, then we can look at testing uh, to to you know really confirm what we suspected or to get more information on things we we would not be able to guess like that. So let's take an example like high blood pressure. Sure. What would you do with someone if they're having really high blood pressure, say 180, um, 200, maybe even dangerously high well, level? Well, if it's dangerously high, they need to go to the emergency room, uh, but, right? But mm-hmm. when, they, when, when there is time to think about things, then we, then we look at um, – First, uh, what is the cause of the high blood pressure? Um, they, that can be things like problems with endothelial function. There can be nutrients. What's that? Well, how the small blood vessels work. So nitric oxide levels in the small vessels can contribute to not uh, the system not working as well, and that can raise blood pressure. Um, other things that can cause blood pressure is some uh, hormones in the kidneys not working as well, uh, stress. Uh, so there's a there's a host of physical reasons why it can be happening. So we're always wondering what if we can identify some of those physical reasons and then identify some of the social uh, and lifestyle reasons too. So blood pressure is not always an enzyme deficiency or a problem with aldosterone. It, it can be a combination of lifestyle factors. So stress, sleep, food choice, hydration, all of these things, exercise, all of these things can contribute to high blood pressure. And many times uh, not, uh, a medication is required and more times when you optimize the lifestyle factors, the blood pressure can be resolved. And, I, um, and so often in the medical system, someone would go to a doctor with high blood pressure and they get a pill within a few minutes and then they're on pills for the rest of their life. Sure. Is that always the wisest way to do our health or – well, any intervention has a purpose, right? Uh, I'm not anti-medication and that's a pretty easy, quick thing to do to control the physiology and get the person out of danger, right? But that's not the whole story because they're not – I mean ultimately it's not a lisinopril deficiency that they're dealing with. They're dealing with other things that are causing the high blood pressure. So if there's time and the person is able to, then should figure out what factors are driving, what what risk factors are making the blood pressure happen. And then you can uh, unwind those and address those. But you can't do that in a 10-minute office visit usually. And if your goal is to help someone not have a stroke this week, yeah, great. Uh, control the blood pressure. For the rest of your life though, it's probably better to figure out how you can uh, control the blood pressure without taking a pill, right? Yeah, and and so um, and so another one of the fundamental principles is to treat the whole person. Yes. Yep. Uh, everything that you can understand about the person, right? Uh, their environment, uh, as well as what they eat, how they sleep, how they think, uh, their uh, their uh, own individual health needs, genetic nutrient deficiencies, other things that are going into there. So everything you can uh, can understand can go into your treatment plan. And um, another thing that's really important is the healing power of nature. Yeah, and this is where – this is probably the most individuating aspect of naturopathic medicine, this idea of the healing healing of the vital force, right? That sounds a little woo-woo, um, that there is a vital force that we can, we can help support. But it's also really straightforward. 
Um, the, the classic example is cutting your finger. You cut your finger, you keep it clean, and it heals. Exactly how that works, we do not know precisely. We know there are cell factors, you know, growth factors involved and we can, we can point to some things. But how does the body know how, exactly how to put it together again? No, nope, that's a mystery. Um, but that's the healing power of nature in, in action. So naturopathically, we always want to support the body's intrinsic capacity to heal as much as possible and everything is we think about that. Uh, so we wonder what is, what is blocking the capacity to heal. How can we support it rather than just controlling physiology, um, which there is a place for? But yeah, that's healing power. Nature is core to naturopathic medicine. Yeah, and um, you know we have so many issues going on in our society right now. I mean, it just feels, especially this coming out of COVID. I just, I, I don't know. It just feels like there's so much stress in the air. I don't know if you're feeling that too, or if it's, mm. and, and yet, so then, I mean, this, this. This opening ourselves up to the healing power of nature is is a very powerful remedy. Oh, sure. So if we're talking about nature-based therapies, uh, yes, very helpful. Get outside, get in green space, see the sky, you know, even if it's cloudy. Yep. These things we know help with stress and help uh, with emotional regulation and have, have really profound effects. So and Touching the dirt, being with the dirt. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> And then um, it's a doctor as a teacher, so the relationship in naturopathic doctor, doctoring. Well, yeah. Well, so doctor, uh, the root in Latin is docere, which means teacher. Yep. And so this idea is uh, uh, the role of a naturopathic doctor perhaps is uh, that of a teacher or a compatriot uh, that helps you uh, learn how to take care of yourself rather than someone dictates things that you must do to get better, right? So it's about partnership and, and working together as a team. So. And also embracing our individuality. Oh, of course. The personalization. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean when it comes to uh, medical care is this idea of personalizing our, our, our medical care? Well, so personalized health care is, is a – that's uh, terminology now for incorporating genetic information and genetic testing into drug choice or, or nutrient choice. So that's personalized medicine. But individualized cares, thinking about you as a person – uh, how things work with you and, and trying to customize the treatment plan. So uh, one, one particular intervention is not appropriate for everybody. One particular diet is not appropriate for everybody. There is no perfect diet out there that fits everybody. Now, there's probably a perfect diet for you and me today and that will change in 10 years or so on. So it's a moving target. But this idea of individualized uh, care means we, we work with what we are right now and change it as necessary and it's not a one-size-fits-all. Fit all. How do we find our, uh, indiv our perfect individual diet? Yeah, pay attention. Talk to people who have studied it. Yep. See, see what works and do research. There's, uh, there's ways of testing how you react to foods, uh, what foods you need. And when you experiment with a diet, you see what it does. Um, uh, you, you know, the nutritional literature is very confusing. Yeah, it says lots of different things. And if you go on YouTube, it's even worse. <laughs> right? And, yeah. you, know, you should be keto. You should be vegan. Meat will, meat will kill you. You should eat only meat. You know, you know and these, mm -hmm. these ideas are good for uh, catching attention. But I think they're not as useful for applying a healthy diet. And, and so when we do that, I think it comes to common sense and what has been historically done in the past. So um, 
Michael Pollan is a wonderful author, and his mm-hmm. his motto I think is really important, which is eat food, real food, not too much, mostly plants. Like that's that's great. That's, that's it. That, eat that. food, real food. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, we are we are going to take a break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to uh, Food Freedom Radio on AM nine fifty, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headline, and with us today is Dr. Uh, Andrew Litchie. And Andrew Litchie is a na- is with a Neighborhood Naturopathic Doctor. Um, you're a naturopathic doctor. So again, what does that mean, a naturopathic doctor? Well, a naturopathic doctor um, in Minnesota, we're registered with the Minnesota Board of Med- Medical Practice. So you always know in Minnesota who's a naturopathic doctor by looking at the Minnesota Naturopathic Doctor Registry. Um, so we are physician-trained providers that work with people with all kinds of problems, um, anything from digestion to high blood pressure, cholesterol, and some of us specialize in things like complex chronic illness, uh, adjunctive cancer care, women's health, and so on. So, so let's take those digestive issues. Sure. Talk to us a little bit about digestion. Oh, digestion is <laughs> tremendously important. You know, we all eat food, uh, hopefully, uh-huh. uh, you know, a couple times a day. And, and uh, how we digest, what we eat affects our health greatly as we're learning more and more. Food matters. Um, you know, and interestingly, a lot of people have problems with the digestion and maybe don't even realize it. I, things like constipation, diarrhea, bloating, heartburn. For many people, this is the norm and they don't even think about it that that is how it's supposed to be. Um, and and so I, I think this can be very important. You know, our digestive tract is the most, the largest immunoactive tissue in our body. Inflammation in the digestive tract affects our immune system greatly. And, and so problems there can lead to lots of other problems in the body. You know. And I think it's important to know people with functional digestive problems. Uh, functional means there's a problem, but it's not uh, something that's going to kill you quickly. Um, there's a lot to be done with that. And, and these things can really affect quality of life. There's, right. And so, you know, I mean, um, so if you're not aware of these things, how, where do you even start? How do you start? You start feeling like, okay, I know I have a lot of bloating. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what should I do? Well, um, if we're going to be talking about food, um, I think things like uh, bloating or heartburn often have food triggers. And so you could be paying attention to when these things happen, when they're worse or when they're better. And when you start uh, noticing the pattern, then you can start correlating, are foods triggering this or does it seem to be triggering it? And, and go from there. Um, the A classic thing to do is an elimination diet, um, cutting out certain foods and seeing what happens and then reintroducing and then seeing if things, if things uh, get worse again. Mm-hmm. So that is something anyone can do without talking to any professional. Okay. Right. So that elimination diet can be, um, again, kind of go through the steps of the, the standard elimination diet, Eat just fruits and vegetables for uh, uh, a couple days and then you slowly bring back grains or – uh, so that there, there's many ways to approach this. The, mm-hmm. the idea is you cut out uh, what you think are inflammatory foods for a period of time and then try them out again. So there's many models of this. Uh, something like a paleo diet is one where you would cut out dairy, uh, grains, sugar, um, 
and and then see what happens when you reintroduce them again. That's one idea. There's an anti-inflammatory approach where you might cut out, you know, gluten, corn, soy, dairy, eggs, uh, then see what happens when you reintroduce them. So so there's many ways. To, and then what you talked about, yeah, do fruits and vegetables for a couple of days and see if you get better and then reintroduce. Something like that is challenging because you cut out so many food groups, um, and that's the challenge with elimination diets. Can you get it? Can you get it right? You know, what if it? What if the problem is broccoli, right? Or yep, because um, it, it's often eggs or dairy or gluten, but it's often not the only thing, right? You know? And so there's been a huge increase in uh, food allergies. That's correct. And so what sits behind that? Well, I don't think we really know. Um, we're not, there's a huge increase in, for example, peanut true allergy and we're not exactly sure why that's happening. And there's also a big increase in food intolerance. Um, say 30 years ago, food intolerance was not a known clinical entity. It was not happening. And now it seems to be affecting many, many people. So we wonder, is it uh, food quality, uh, changes in our food supply, maybe increase in processed foods or, or all of these things, new chemicals were used. Using, uh, we're not exactly sure these all can contribute, but but more and more people are reacting to foods, and and so it yeah it's a huge cause of, of digestive problems and other illness. And um, soil health, the the health of the food that that we're eating, um, there's so much there. I mean, um, um, so um, I, I heard this say, you know, we have the expression, "You are what you eat." Mm-hmm. But actually, you are what your food eats. Yeah, that's you know, true. so it's it's that health of the vital. So eating food from vital soil. Which is not usually found in big box stores anymore. Or- that, that's the case. And even eating organic is no guarantee there's not going to be contamination from the soil in it. I mean, if you just look at brown rice or even organic kale, organic rice or organic kale, like where they can be grown in uh, industrial settings, they may be absorbing a lot of problematic heavy metals. Right, and I, uh, Sir, Sir Howard, um, uh, uh, Sir Howard said something like that. Artificial manure was some of the worst things that we've did, and so I mean, really, our rat, our diet has been radically changed in the last few decades. Yes. The human diet has been radically Absolutely upended. True. Yep, yep, and we we see uh, disease incidents uh, starting on a dime. For example, childhood diabetes, type two diabetes, started in the mid nineties. Before the mid-90s, there was no uh, you know, uh, fatty liver disease in children. And then somewhere around 95, exactly, it started. And now it is an epidemic. So something's happening uh, with the food supply. That's probably uh, what's going on there. And I've heard for the first time uh, our lifespans are decreasing. And mm-hmm. some people really tie that to the uh, quality of the soil that we're getting our food from. Mm-hmm. Could be. So um, – and um, – so what can we do? I mean, um, I mean, this way I've been talking about for 10 years. So we mm-hmm. can uh, grow our own food yep, and uh, shop at the farmer's market and shop at the co-op and, yep. and, and just really and, – and, and, but the other, the other thing that I, I think you're suggesting is really um, pay more attention to how our individual bodies are responding to individual foods. Oh, that's absolutely true. And we have individual nutritional needs that are driven by our, our lifestyle, higher stress, uh, increases nutritional needs. Underlying uh, risks or illnesses are also going to change our nutritional needs. And so we need to take this into account when we're choosing our ideal diet. Yeah, and I know for me because it's finally spring, so I got my fiddleheads and some uh-huh. onions up, so I was able nice. to forage in the yard, and it's like – 
after, you know, not really being able to eat much fresh food to actually have that. It just feels so different in your body when you're eating that way. Yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there are six fundamental purposes. Do no harm. Identify and treat the cause. Treat the whole person. Healing power of nature. Doctor as teacher. And emphasizing prevention. Right. Uh, one definition of prevention is early detection, trying to find the disease as soon as you can. I, that's, that's true. That's one definition of how it's applied. I like to think of prevention as really preventing illness. And, and how can we talk about that clearly? Uh, that is reducing risk factor for illness. So when we understand what risk factors are, we can address the risk factors. And when risk factors are lower, it's less likely to develop into a true pathology. So that's, that, that's true prevention, is reducing risk factors and trying to stop problems before they manifest. So it's on your website for people who suffer from allergies. They, if they work six weeks before allergies, Allergy season. Mm-hmm. That's one. So, what would you suggest for someone who suffers from allergies? Oh well, there's uh, uh, there's a lot that can be done. Yeah, there's nutritional support, making sure you have essential fatty acids. Yeah, vitamin levels are are all balanced. Again, uh, food intolerance matters very much for allergies. And then there's natural treatments that uh, can be really helpful as antihistamines before you go right to uh, Flonase or Zyrtec or whatever. Uh, so things like nettle. We just had an article on nettle and that's mm-hmm. what's coming up now, fresh nettle, uh, that there is lots of evidence this can act as an antihistamine and be very helpful. Um, so there's a lot that can be done. Um, sublingual desensitization, um, many, many therapies. Great. Well, we're going to need to take a break and uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to Food Funeral Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. This year is something new. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plan to nurse the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, and today we're talking about food as medicine, and joining us is Dr. Andrew Litchie, and he's with NeighborhoodNaturopathic.com um, in Edina. And again, um, in case someone's just joining us now, give us a little bit of your background. Well, so I'm a naturopathic doctor. I've been practiced for about 10 years now. Uh, I'm in practice with my sister at our clinic, Neighborhood Naturopathic in Edina, Minnesota, where we, we see people of all ages. Uh, my, my sister tends to specialize in women's health, and I tend to specialize in complex illness. And uh, uh, we both do co- um, adjunctive cancer care as well. So, Okay. Yeah. So complex illnesses. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, gosh. So... When people develop chronic illness, things quickly become very interdependent and complex. And so, for example, it could be autoimmunity or infection or some underlying cause that is is the first driver. But before long, uh, cortisol or hormones are involved, digestion is involved, it's affecting sleep and detox pathways. And so it's, a, it's kind of a big uh, interconnected problem. And, and so you look at one symptom and it's affected by everything else. So we see this a lot with uh, uh, certain autoimmune diseases. Lyme disease is pretty classic or uh, other pro- issues with, with detoxification, some genetic problems. Uh, so you, you end up helping treat, uh, treat everything at once. So how to balance the, the cortisol system while you're dealing with infection, while you're supporting digestive health. Um, 
So people with complex illness are often not easily helped conventionally. They have often been sick for 15, 20 years with really severe symptoms that and yet may look pretty well. Um, so they're they're clearly they don't have cancer. You know, nothing is showing up on testing like one would expect with someone being that ill, and yet they are. And so, yep, this is this is something I, I uh, it, you know, I am happy to help people with is trying to understand the root cause of their problem and and kind of unwind the system so the system can heal itself. Right, because it can be really hard if you you know you go from doctor to doctor and you don't get any solutions. Especially, I mean, I know I had a friend that was dealing with Lyme disease that was horrible until she she, she kind of um, yep. kept kept trying some innovative things. Right, right, and and even real well intentioned treatments in that situation can make people feel worse or make things be worse if you're not if you're not careful with it. So that can happen with people. They try things and then they get worse and then it gets frustrating, and everyone is is confused with what to do. So uh, one of the things that you do is um, you offer a lot of different testing. So and there, there's a lot of different testing you do. You want to just talk a little bit about this type of testing? Oh sure. Well, we we do a lot of different kinds of testing to to understand what's happening. Um, uh, so uh, sure, where shall we start? I know. Uh, uh, <laughs> The letter A, adrenal stress testing? Oh, yeah. So adrenal stress, tre- uh, stress testing. So uh, that's what I was talking about with cortisol patterns. Um, we, have our, we have cortisol. We think of it as a stress hormone. But cortisol is also a circadian rhythm hormone or day-night uh, cycle. Uh, so when people have chronic stress or chronic illness, uh, the cortisol pattern gets disrupted and they can have fatigue, issues with sleeping, uh, issues with blood sugar because of cortisol imbalance. And the adrenal uh, – an adrenal test is a way to really understand what's happening to get, uh, to see where they're at, why the insomnia is happening as it is or how can we best support them. Because sometimes uh, – what seems like overstress or uh, shakiness or high stress response is really a system that is absolutely exhausted. Um, so uh, the idea of adrenal fatigue is really it's it's kind of a funny term because many conventional docs or endocrinologists don't believe in it. So I don't use that term. I use chronic stress mal- maladaptation. Right. Everyone agrees in chronic stress problems. And, and so an adrenal cortisol test is a way to understand how to best support that person and to get a, get baselines or check-ins to see how that is changing. So what are the, some of the solutions um, for – or some of the remedies for people with um, chronic stress disorders? Well, um, so most invasively, you can do things like actually supporting cortisol, uh, giving adrenal glandulars that actually will replace the, the cortisol that's not being produced. Um, there's herbs and botanicals that, that can help balance the system depending on, on the level of imbalance. And of course, dealing with lifestyle, um, helping reduce the stress throughout the day um, and getting enough time to rest and heal. Um, yeah, There can be other mineral imbalances or digestive problems that go with that as well. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and then you do some genetic testing. Oh, sure. Yep. Um, genetic testing things. Uh, so there are things called uh, single nucleotide polymorphisms or SNPs, mm-hmm. and these are different variants of other of genes that we all have. And these different variants, well, it may have different functionality. So even though you have a gene that say the, the classic one is MTHFR or methylation, so how you process folate. Um, 
So certain variations of that gene will process it uh, more efficiently or less efficiently than others. And so as you understand the SNPs, you can understand why people are having certain problems and why they may react negatively to certain interventions. And that idea that everybody is unique and that's mm-hmm. also miraculous too. I mean it really is – there's just this wonderful miraculous – we are each unique. And yes. so we sort of have a, a system that's almost like tries to fit everyone into a one-size-fits-all. Here, take this pill if you're feeling this. But this idea of really personalizing it is mm-hmm. far more effective. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yep. And then uh, comprehensive nu- nutrient testing. Um, tell us a bit about what, uh, your approach to that. Well, there's, there's several ways to do that. Um, so the, the basic idea is looking for deficiency and excess. Um, and so we can, we can treat that. Um, a really simple thing to test is something like a vitamin D level. That's a simple blood test. You're high or you're low. Based on that, you can, you can intervene. Um, and then there's other, uh, other, other things that are not commonly tested, essential fatty acids, CoQ10, um, looking at things like homocysteine that can help us uh, understand B level, B vitamin levels. And then we can get more complex and actually look how these things are working in the body um, by testing different intermediates of biochemical pathways, different organic acids. Um, we can see like is a pathway working as it's supposed to? And if it's not working, where is it backed up? And if we know where it's backed up, we can, we can infer that the cofactors for that part of the process are imbalanced. And so we can, we can really look at someone's physiology and understand what is happening that way. So – I know it was years ago, but I was I was at my primary care doctor and I said I'd like to do some nutritional testing. Like, well, we really don't do it, mm-hmm. which seemed kind of silly to me. And yeah, yeah. Well, they're uh, they're not trained in it, and so and that's that's not their goal. Uh, you know, so if they're not trained in it, they don't believe in it. They shouldn't be doing it. Um, so so that that makes sense to me, and, and I, I think that's okay. Um, if you're not trained in something, you shouldn't be doing it, and you should work with people who are trained in it. And that's your idea, and that's the, that's the idea of the naturopathic um, community is to work with conventional doctors and work as a team. Well, yeah. So in other in other states where we're more, there's more of us, we are part of the team. Uh, for example, I trained in a cancer center where there are naturopathic doctors on staff and, and part of the care team. And, and so they, they help manage uh, the diet, lifestyle, supplementation of the cancer patients and worked with oncologists closely. Uh, so we will move to the, that as uh, that's, I think that's where I think we should fit in as another mm-hmm. specialist in in the team of the patient. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, so Minnesota is a little behind the curve in that? Or? Well, yeah, we tend to be a little more conservative on some things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of okay. course. Yeah. Um, and so uh, this is a comprehensive stool analysis. Oh, sure. So uh, You can probably learn a lot from that, can't yeah, you? You can, you can. Yeah, it's the life experience collecting it because you do, you do that yourself at home and send it in. So with, with the, that test, we can see if uh, – if there's imbalances in the, in the microbiome, that's the bacteria and uh, and other other species that we all have in our gut. So the microbiome mm-hmm. is very exciting. Right it now. is. Yeah, yeah, we're learning more and more about it. And so it's it's a it's a new organ actually. That um, so that's a way of getting a look at the microbiome. Well, you can also see how well your your pancreas is working, signs of inflammation, um, yeah, many things from that. And so if somebody wanted to test like this um, and they're just sort of like I'm getting these gut issues and I – so I I think that might be a good test I should. What's the – 
first step they would do? Well, you know, these are – that's the thing. These may or may not be good ideas and you may or may not want to do all the testing you can because these uh, – sometimes getting more information is not helpful. Um, so uh, so that's why you talk with someone who, who understands these and see if you really need the stool test or maybe you start with something else and that can fix the problem. Um, so uh, like that. So recommend talking with someone who understands this kind of testing and understands uh, approach for, for digestion, for example, to see if it's even needed to do that. Okay. Um, and then uh, there's something called an SIBO test. Oh, sure. SIBO, SIBO is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, most of our bacteria is supposed to hang out in our large intestine. And when it, when it overgrows in the small intestine, we can get bloating, uh, uh, pain, neurologic symptoms, uh, diarrhea, constipation, uh, a whole host of problems. So uh, the SIBO breath test is a way to see if there is, is actual overgrowth there. Uh, and then a food allergy and sensitivity testing. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this is a blood test that will will help you determine if you seem to be reacting to things. So we talked about elimination diet earlier. Uh, so this this test would give you a focused, uh, personalized uh, elimination diet. So you'd know, yeah, you should be cutting out broccoli or not, or mm-hmm. right? Because not everyone needs to cut out dairy and gluten, truly. And, and so if you don't need to, why would you want to do that? Yeah, because there's some – I mean sometimes the gluten-free stuff and then there's been some products that – well, is that really all that much more healthy for you? I mean (laughs) it it might not be. Well, with food intolerance, it's a funny thing because we're not – we're trying to stop an immune response, an inflammatory response um, rather than pick a healthy food. So the body makes mistakes and food intolerance is allergies is one of them. Like what did did flower pollen ever do to someone who (laughs) suffers allergies? That's a clear mistake. That should be fine. So this is not helping you choose healthy foods. It's helping you avoid foods that are causing you harm. And endocrine testing. Mm-hmm. Yep, hormones, estrogen, testosterone, and their their metabolites. Uh, this this can be important with some some problems. But this testing tends to not be um, uh, accessible in our conventional medical system. Right. This can be because of how it's reimbursed with insurance. Um, if it is not connected with um, uh, the, the right codes or outcomes, it may, the insurance company may not uh, test for it. And then when you have all this information, you have to know what to do with it. And so if you don't find it clinically useful to know this stuff and it's not going to affect your choice of blood pressure medication, then why would you do that? Um, so, so for some providers, it is not important to them with their clinical decision making. Uh, for us, it is because these are things we think about and help, help customize treatment and, under, and help diagnose problems. But. Well, and that gets back to the um, six fundamental principles, um, identify and treat the cause to really understand the underlying cause, not just, you know, throw the medicine and that yep. you think matches it. Precisely. So um, cardiovascular screening. Um, mm-hmm. so, so good old cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the common cholesterol test is total cholesterol, good and bad cholesterol and triglycerides. Uh, and this this is useful in some cases, but sometimes it doesn't capture risk, and a lot of the time it does not capture risk or display risk. So you can have slightly or moderately elevated cholesterol and actually not have as much risk as as another person who maybe their cholesterol looks normal. So by looking at more uh, apolipoproteins, that, that will will know. So if you your particles are higher, uh, 
different different uh, particles like ApoB are higher. We know there's risk there, um, whereas just knowing high LDL wouldn't wouldn't just we'll do that. Risk. So it's, it's yeah. getting it more specific. So now we're going to take another break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and today we're talking with Dr. Andrew Litchie um, with NeighborhoodNaturopathic.com. We covered food as medicine, and uh, last segment. And uh, I, this has been um, uh, for some people just an emotionally gut wrenching time. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the emotional well being because that's part of the naturopathic is that our our, our really our. Our, our bodies are connected to our heart. That's right. There is this body-mind connection thing. And so um, spiritual well-being, emotional well-being is all part of being well. Yes, of course. Yep, absolutely. How we manage our stress and process our emotions really really affects everything. So, yep, excessive stress will, will trigger inflammation if we think physio- physiologically and our thinking patterns will, will cause us trouble or not trouble depending what they are, right? Right. And so you had like uh, four things and, and number one is to lean into and engage. And I almost think we're culturally set right now to avoid problems. <laughs> Sure, sure, and and I suppose our media is is really pervasive and very intense. We are overstimulated, and so to protect ourselves, it's it, there's a a tendency to shut down and shut off, and, and so that actually is adaptive short term, but long term shutting down is not going to that's you're going to lose parts of yourself and parts of your emotionality. So leaning into what is happening is, is long term a better strategy when there's space to have that. Right. And yeah, so um honoring our emotions. Mm-hmm. And 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 giving ourselves a break. Um and I know that's uh, the fourth one, but it, no one does everything perfectly. Oh, of course not. You know? Yeah. Yeah, we are being we kind. are humans. Yeah. Have you noticed? <laughs> Have you noticed we're being kind and being kind to ourselves. Um and then there's a lot of mindfulness and calming techniques. Mhm. Uh, do you have a simple one? Oh well, sure. There, there's many. Um, so, so as an intervention, I like to talk about uh, you know, breathing or square breathing. That's something everybody can do, even when your mind is very busy. Just counting the breath four times in, hold it for four, exhale for four, hold the exhale for four, and do that for five minutes is a really good, simple way to be to, to start your your meditation training. Um, and that when people start trying to practice meditation, uh, they bump into how busy their mind is and, and, and it can be very frustrating. So starting simple like that, is, it can be a really wonderful thing to do. The other thing I think is really important is simply paying attention, paying attention to how you feel or what's happening. And with nutrition, I think this is really important. Um, when, you, when you work with people and helping them change their nutrition, you quickly find out that nutrition is not simple. It's very complicated. We choose our food not very much based on what is best for our bodies, what we think is best for our bodies, but it's also about uh, our family. It's also about our culture. Our, it's also about self-care and fun and pleasure. And these are all really important things. So it can be a little confusing. You know, we had a lot of sugar when we were young as a reward and now we reward ourselves with sugar. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. It's fine to have a cookie or two. I 
they encourage it. Don't not have cookies as long as they don't make you sick, right? But when we um, think that that's going to make us feel better, uh, we can end up with some problematic behaviors around food. A simple way to work with that is just paying attention, you know. Sure, you, you, you want, uh, want a food, something or other, because you're feeling stressed. Good to notice that. And instead of fighting that, if you do, gotta take care of yourself. Then pay attention. What did that donut really taste like? Did it taste like the thing you imagined it would? And how do you feel afterwards? And just letting, letting those emotions be there, even letting yourself have the donut and watching what happens, that is far more effective than telling yourself not to have the donut and getting mad at yourself when you do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just mindful eating 101. And as you pay attention to these things, you realize, yeah, maybe, maybe the donut's fun sometimes, but it doesn't taste as good. And my idea of the donut is not actually what it is. And it's so important to connect with each other. That was another one of these four things is connecting with each other, which COVID has made difficult. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's true. We are even more isolated this last year and stressed and alone uh, or in out of community. And we're social animals. It's very stressful. And, and yet each person is different. So we're all responding to this differently. So how do we, how do we create a space and a culture for well-being? Mm-hmm. That's Right? That's a big yeah, question. It is a big question. I, and I, we've got like two minutes left on the show and I want to make sure uh, you get a chance to like say the website and tell people how they can learn more about you and you do 15-minute um, consultations. Oh, sure. Yeah. So our website is neighborhoodnaturopathic.com. Uh, phone number is 612-259-8529. Um, yeah. And we, we also have an online store we opened. You're welcome to check everything out. If you want to find out more about us and see if it's a good match, we do complimentary phone consults uh, to see if it if it'd be appropriate before you decide to book with us. So that's that's the business. And then how is this um, reimbursed? It's that's that's part of the problem too is how we move the whole system so that it mm-hmm. starts really, you know, looking at health. Yeah. So so it is out of network care. So um, it's reimbursed at an out of network rate, which means you'll get insurance paperwork to to submit to your insurance. But um, we also HSAs and flex spending accounts always can be used for everything we do. Great. And we used to ask people, what are their ideas of food freedom? And mm-hmm. so um, but what is your idea of food freedom and how it's related to health and well-being? Uh, oh, so, uh, geez, uh, food freedom, I think, is being able to have uh, access to appropriate foods and knowing how to feed yourself appropriately um, and knowing when it's time to have, uh, have fun foods and knowing when it's not and enjoying yourself, enjoying your food. And, and having it be a healthy part of your life, yeah. I think. Healthy and vital a part of your life. Um, and um, so, there's so much more I would love to say, but because like, like your, your, your expertise has really spanned. You're an emergency room technician. Uh, you worked with uh, developmentally disabled and autistic individuals. And you've been observing, and, and then you, you trained at the, the oldest naturopathic medical school in the United States. And, and deep into meditation. Um, so from that window, what is your hope for the future? Well, my hope for the future is we all talk to each other more clearly and we all realize we're coming from the same place, right? Both in the healthcare and interpersonally. Uh, yep, like that. And of course, we treat each other with respect and love. Respect and love. 
Yeah, in vital nature of uh, in nature. I, I like that. I like that. So uh, respect and love. Um, you've been listening to Food Freedom Radio. Thank you so much, and Dr. Andrew uh, Litchie for joining us. And uh, have an awesome weekend. Well, thanks so, so much for having me. 